We are studying still in the book of Romans. This is our sermon series, Rooting Through Romans, part number 30, and this is Romans chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 tonight, Lord willing. On this message, I've titled from the text, A Curse from Christ for My Brethren. Romans chapter 9, we'll go ahead and read the verses and then we'll get right into it. Romans chapter 9, starting with verse 1, the Bible says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is overall God-blessed forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word tonight. We're asking now that you help us as we try to expand on this text, that you'll be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're over halfway through the book of Romans. There's 16 chapters. We're right here just past the halfway point. Uh, the book of Romans is broken up really in three divisions. You look at that first, uh, those first uh, eight chapters, and it's looking at uh, Christians. It's looking at the church. It's looking at uh, salvation and things like that. And then it gets to chapter 9 through 11, and it's dealing with Israel. And then after that, we see uh, the next chapters after that, 12 through 16, as it all is summed up. And so you can break it down into kind of sections like that. And so tonight we are looking at uh, our main focus, as Paul's focus is, is on the nation of Israel. Now up to this point, he's been dwelling and focusing his attention upon the church. Christians, and mainly the church in Paul's time at that time point, was made up mainly of Gentiles. It wasn't predominantly Jews. Now, we know that the church began with Jesus and his disciples. It was empowered at Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter got up and preached, and it said that the 3,000 souls were saved, and then we kept seeing where they were multiplying, the church was multiplying. At the early stages of the New Testament church, the first century church, it was predominantly Jewish, but as time went by, 10 years, 20 years, and now 30 years has passed, and we're finding that the church is mainly made up of Gentiles. The Jews rejected Jesus, and they continued to do that. The Jews have been put into darkness, and they still are there. And But here Paul is having to switch gears, and he's taking his focus off the individual salvation and the, the Gentiles and the church, and he wants to make sure who he's dealing with here. Uh, he wants them to know because he's treading on dangerous ground now. Because these Jewish listeners, are going their ears are going to perk up because they want to know all about what God has in plan for them. And so he, this is not made up of, of really the Romans or the Greeks or, the, or um, uh, you know, Gentiles in general. But here we're talking about um, Israelites, Jews. Hebrews, They're, you can refer to them in different ways. But they had rejected their Messiah. John, over in his gospel, tells us this. He says in John 1.11, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now we know there were several that did receive him. Individually, they received him. But as a nation, as a God's people, a covenant people in the whole, they rejected him. And so they did not receive him. Jesus, if you remember, before he was betrayed and crucified, 
just before that, that that Friday before, and we we call that uh, good no Palm Sunday, the two Sundays before. On Palm Sunday, uh, what we call it, as Jesus rode in on that triumphal entry, as we also call it, on that donkey, and they spread those palm branches and, and the clothes out in the thing. And But he gets up to the city of Jerusalem, and he looks out over the city, and listen to what the Bible says. In Luke 19, verse 41, it says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. And listen to this, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. The time of their visitation was the time that Jesus came to this earth. He's speaking of himself. So he's prophesying right here on how this holy city is going to be invaded. And they will tear down that precious temple, never to be worshipped in again until uh, in later times, of course, when it's rebuilt uh, in the future. But in 70 AD, uh, Jerusalem was conquered. The, the temple was was torn down and no stone was left uh, unturned. And so they missed the time of their visitation. They did not choose to accept their Messiah, their Savior, which is the Christ. That's what the Christ is. He's the Messiah, the Savior. And so all of these are reasons Paul starts out this text here in Romans chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, by saying, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. And like I said, he's walking on treacherous ground here. And so as he turns from the church and individual salvation, he puts his thoughts and focus upon the Israelites. And he says here that uh, he wants to, what he's trying to do, he's trying to make his listeners understand that what he's saying is a fact he even says that word, he didn't lie. He says, uh, I lie not. He says that in other places in the Bible as well. Uh, there's a, obviously um, a lot of people that were trying to say that Paul was lying about the truths that he was speaking. Of course, those unbelieving Jews were always coming against him and disputing what he said. And then those that we call the Judaizers that claimed salvation but still wanted to do the works, they certainly said that Paul was teaching a false gospel and so he is making sure they understand he's not lying here. In fact, as the Holy Ghost as his witness, he's telling them he has great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart. Now, what we need to do is keep in mind that Jesus Christ himself was the one that appointed Paul as a preacher under the Gentiles. Paul being a Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee of the Pharisee, of the tribe of Benjamin. But here's what the Lord said after Paul was saved on the road to Damascus and Paul's making his way there. He's blind right now. He's walking toward Damascus and there's a man there named Ananias and the Lord comes to him in a vision and he tells him that one Saul of Tarsus is on his way and he's a, an appointed vessel unto me. And he tells Ananias this in Acts 9 and 15, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way 
for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So the Lord mentions Paul is going to be preaching unto the children of Israel, but his main objective is to be a light unto the Gentiles. That's Paul's calling. Peter was called to be a preacher unto the Jews or the Israelites. And so over in the book of Acts, we read when Paul and Barnabas, uh, there on that first missionary journey, they went to Antioch of Pisidia, and they were preaching. And in Acts chapter 13, verses 44 through 48, we read this. This is interesting because we see Paul's perspective on what he's been called to do. Acts 13 and 44. The Bible says, And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves, listen, this is important, unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Verse 47 is key. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. So Paul goes into this place at Antioch of Pisidia, and of course the first place he goes is a Jewish synagogue. Some, a few of them believed earlier in that, that text there in Acts 13. We didn't read it tonight, but earlier some believed, but many did not. And so the word got out about what Paul was doing. Paul said he's going to come back and preach. And so all the city comes out to hear him preach. So you got Jew and Gentile alike. The Jews are very inquisitive on what he's going to say. And we see here they rejected it. It says, Paul even told them, he said, you've judged yourselves unworthy for salvation. Now, right away, let me say this. There are some that believe that no Jew will ever go to hell. And they take that from different places in the Bible that says things such as, and all of Israel shall be saved. We're going to talk about that more, really more in a later message. I'll talk about it a little bit more tonight. Every Jew is not going to be saved. Do you want to tell me that Judas Iscariot is a saved man? No, certainly not. He was a Jew. And so we, we find here that there's a lot of people that are Jews that are not going to be saved. Those that God swallowed up in the ground because they'd come against him. And so these people are not going to be saved. Uh, all of Israel, the individual Jew, is not going to be saved. Not all of them are going to be saved. Some will, individuals. But as the nation as a whole, yes, God has a plan for them. We'll talk about it more as we go, but... Listen, Paul declared his calling numerous times. In his letters to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7, he said this, Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. There he says again, I'm, lying, I'm not lying here. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Now there's some people today get all bent out of shape when a preacher says he's a teacher. I'm not a teacher, I'm a preacher. You better be both. The Apostle Paul was both. He said right here, he's a teacher of the Gentiles. You think he was sitting down at, at a lecturing and, and giving them school books? No, he was teaching the Bible. That's part of preaching. If you're not learning when you're listening to preaching, you're not, you're not getting it. 
Preaching is teaching. That's what the Lord Jesus did. When he preached, he taught. He didn't get all crazy and bent out of shape, turn red and hoop and holler and turn flips and all this stuff. The Lord Jesus spoke, he taught, and he preached. All right, that's my pet peeve. I got that out of the way. He told Timothy this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. You see that? Paul's not ashamed of being called a teacher. He's a preacher, a teacher, and an apostle. Now, Paul wanted badly, badly to preach to the Jews, and he did. He did often. In fact, usually everywhere he went, that's the first people he went to was the Jews. I mentioned it a while ago. He goes to a Jewish synagogue. If there was one there, that's where he went so that he could begin teaching and give them a chance to be saved. And some would get saved, some would reject him. Many would reject him. But he wanted to go there, but the Lord had set him apart to be the light unto the Gentiles, but it didn't keep him from longing for his fellow Jews to be saved. And that's what's caused Paul to write this, saying, I'm not lying here, I have great sorrow, he says, uh, great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Continual sorrow. You know what, what that's like, don't you? You know, there can be things that happen to you. Let's say, for example, a situation that's happening in your family. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've had two of our children that's, that's had COVID. Uh, they're, well, I call them children. They're adults now. They're both in their 20s. But that doesn't keep us from being worried and concerned about them. Uh, that is stayed continuously in the back of our minds. Probably more my wife's than mine. But in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking about them. It's always turning back there. So I have this continual uh, heaviness. This um, it's not. I'm not sorrowing over them, but I, I have this this uneasy feeling while they're sick like this. You don't know what this virus is going to do, and so it's continually in the back of my mind. But I'm keeping on going through my day, doing other things. I still work, you know, nine, ten hours a day at, at a desk, and I still prepare messages and and all manner of things and mow the yard. But the whole time, there's still that little thought in the back of my mind continually back there that's causing me to think about that. That's what Paul, we're seeing here with Paul. Even though he's continuing going through his ministry, he's witnessing to everyone, always in the back of his mind, there's that little thing that's eating at him. He wants to see all the Jews be saved. And so we see in the next verse just how much he's burdened for them. Look at it, verse 3, back in Romans 9. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, this is where I took the title for our message from. A curse from Christ for my brethren. Uh, I don't know if you realize just how strong of a statement that is. This is nothing lighthearted. Paul isn't just flippantly saying this or, or trying to you know look all... Uh, humble or, or anything like that. This is his his real heart is showing up here for his burden for the lost Jews, and uh, he says this is uh, he says let um, he says for I could wish. Now, a lot of people have a problem with that little phrase right there. For I could wish. It, sometimes you look at it and it doesn't make much sense. You think, well, what what's he mean? Uh, for I could wish is. I mean, is he saying, uh, I don't know, he could wish? Or is he saying, 
uh, he did wish such a thing, or if he could, he would wish this. Is, is, I mean, sometimes you get confused about it. And I have looked at probably a dozen or more commentaries and people's thoughts and ideas on that about what they think Paul is saying. And out of a dozen of them, I found about a dozen different interpretations that I did not agree with. Uh, in fact, I'll give you one. One of my favorite Bible teachers, preachers, old time, is J. Vernon McGee. I think his Through the Bible commentaries are some of the greatest material that you can get your hands on to understand the Bible. He's a great teacher. Uh, and I usually agree with much of what he says, but I don't agree with what he said about this. He says that he thinks it ought to read this way. For I was once myself accursed from Christ, just like my brethren. I know I cannot be accursed, and I want them to come to know Christ and be in my present position. As much as I like J. Vernon McGee, that is, that is a whole different line or has a different thought of it than what I believe Paul is trying to say here. I don't think Paul is bringing back his past and saying, you know, I used to, you know, wish that I could do there. I was a curse from Christ and, and all this because I persecuted the church. And I don't think that's what he's meaning. Uh, I believe that we take it for face value. Um, so we just say, well, for example, some people interpret it to, to add the word if, for if I could wish. Now, I can kind of understand that. That's more. That makes more sense. But I lean toward the meaning that if we just leave it like it says, we'll be fine. Look at it. For I could wish, meaning that Paul could wish this thing. He could wish it. But just as he said in the previous chapter, chapter 8, that we've studied a couple of uh, weeks ago, Listen to what he said in Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul knows without a doubt there's nothing that can separate him from God's love. He cannot be unsaved at this point. Now that he's been saved, he can't be. So he could wish this, but it wouldn't do him any good. It don't matter how much he wished it. But that don't take away from the fact that he would if he could. If he would, he would trade his salvation to see that the Jews were saved. And what's that saying about Paul? I'll tell you what, that is a bold statement. And it just goes to show what kind of man he was. And so, what is it Paul wished? He says that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. My kinsman according to the flesh. Now this is where the rubber meets the road right here. Uh, Paul is stating he's willing to be accursed from Christ for his brethren. Now, as much as I have read and studied Paul's writings, I can tell you without a doubt, he never says anything that is insincere. He never says anything just to be a lot like we are. You know, Sometimes we say things that we don't really mean, but we say them uh, such as this. We'll say something like, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse. Yeah. You ain't going to go eat a horse. They might be somebody starving to death that would probably eat a horse, but that's not really what you mean. You wouldn't really eat a horse, you're just really hungry. Or how about this? I would kill for a piece of chocolate cake. Really? I love chocolate cake, but I ain't killing anybody to get a piece. So we don't really mean those kind of things. We say them, but we don't really mean it. They're just expressions 
to try to, to try to uh, tell people how strongly we feel about something. That is not what Paul's doing right here. He's not just saying this to try for an expression, trying to show people say this. I really, really, really mean this. So you know, I would wish that I was a curse from Christ. You know, if I could. Uh, no, he's shooting us straight. He genuinely is stating he's willing to be accursed from Christ for his brethren. The definition of the word accursed is to be set forth or set aside or devoted to destruction and eternal hell. That's what accursed means. It means to be doomed to destruction and misery, the opposite of salvation, the opposite of being saved. And so this would be a total separation from Christ and his love. That Paul says, I would be willing to trade what I have so that my brethren would be saved. That's what he's saying. That base Greek word right here, that, that, that word of curse comes from is, uh, uh, I always say it wrong, anathema. Uh, it's used once in our King James Bible, that, that very word, that, that, the, the Greek word of it, anathema. And uh, it means uh, accursed is what it means. It's used in 1 Corinthians 16 to 22. Paul says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. Now, anathema meaning curse, accursed, and maranatha meaning the Lord's coming. So what Paul is saying to the church of Corinth, if there is anybody that does not love the Lord Jesus, may he be cursed when the Lord comes to judge us. So he'll be judged when the Lord comes. And so Paul's using this word accursed to indicate the severity of what he's talking about. Uh, for example, in his letter to the Galatians, when he was admonishing them because they had so quickly departed from the gospel which he had taught them, he says this to them in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any of the gospel unto you, than that you have received, let him be accursed. Twice there, he says the word accursed. In other words, totally separated from God, God's love, to be condemned, to be set forth for destruction in eternal hell. If there's an angel comes down preaching a different gospel, may he go to hell. You can't get any more bold than that. And so by Paul saying that he could wish that he himself were a curse from Christ for his brethren. He's saying he'd willingly give up his salvation and go to hell and burn for eternity in exchange for their souls. Now, I tell you, I wonder how many of us today would be willing to say such a thing. Are you going to go out to people that you don't know, that you know that's lost, and pray to God and say, God, if it means me losing my salvation, going to hell for eternity, would you save them? I don't think there's anybody that can honestly say they would do that. Now, our children, you, you can see that. I'd say, God, to save my children, I'm thankful that God has saved both or all three of our children. And But that is one that I might say, Lord, if it means me not being saved, if you'll save my children, I'm willing. Or, or my wife, you know, real your immediate family, I can understand perhaps we would say such a thing. But for the general people, Paul, he's talking about his brethren, the Israelites, the Jews, those who rejected Christ. Would we say, 
I would that all Gentiles would be saved. I, I, I'd just soon be a curse from Christ so that all Gentiles would be saved. So that all those drunks and drug addicts and child molesters out there on the streets of Knoxville, if they'd be saved, I'd be a curse from Christ. I dare say that there's anyone that's going to say such a thing. But interesting enough, God separated such men like Paul and Moses. Do you know Moses did the same thing? Uh, we studied this not long ago when we were studying the book of Exodus. Over in chapter 32, we find that Moses has been up on the mountain communing with God. God tells him he's got to get down there because the people have committed an abomination. They've, they've built them a golden idol, a golden calf, and they're worshiping it. And so Moses goes down there. He witnesses the whole scene. He, of course, destroys it, melts it down, puts it in the water, makes them drink it. Uh, all the, uh, the repercussions are horrible. But then he goes back to God, and this is what he says to God, because God says he will destroy these people. Exodus 32, 31 says, And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Moses is willing to say, Lord, if it means that those people can be saved, I'm willing to be blotted out of your book. I'm willing to not be saved, if that's what it will take. Uh, listen, these are some great men that God brought forth to be his spokes spokesmen. Uh, Moses and Paul, uh, lots of these great men. If you notice, there's not a, a book in the Bible called Byron. And that's for a good reason. God never called me out to, to lead people the way that he did Moses and Paul. Uh, he knows that in my heart, I'm not willing to give up my salvation to see that the world will get saved. And so I'm just being transparent here tonight. And, you know, if you can come to me and honestly tell me, Brother Byron, you know what? I decided that I would. I would go to hell to see that everybody else gets saved. I'm waiting to hear from you. Email me, call me. Text me, whatever you want. If, if that's you, I want to hear from you. I want to talk to you. I want to see exactly how you got your heart there. And so listen, uh, when God, uh, or let's go back to Romans chapter 9 now, back in verses uh, 4 and 5, and we'll, we'll finish this up. So uh, verse 4, Paul continues on, he, and he's talking about who he's speaking about. He said, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. So what Paul's doing right here, he's giving a list of things that are attributed to Israelites, the Jews, his brethren, those that he says that he would be a curse from Christ for if they would get saved. Uh, and so he, he uses terms that they would understand that connects them to those people. So it's clear he's not talking about Gentiles, not talking about Romans, not talking about Greeks. He's talking about the covenant nation of Israel. Not an individual, but Israel as a whole, a nation that God has separated from the rest of the world to be his people. Uh, these are also, as Paul mentioned, the covenant people. The covenant, you may remember, began there with uh, Abraham or Abram um, as, as God separated him from the Ur of the Chaldees and brought him out there and he made a covenant with him. 
betwixt him and God, and uh, that he would be he would separate him from everyone else. And then, of course, we know the the circumcision that he underwent as a sign of this this covenant. And from that point on, starting with Abraham, it's actually before Abraham, but until we start actually referring to this line of of Hebrews or Jews, because he was Hebrew, he was from Eber, he, Hebrew, uh, meaning one that crossed over. And so um, he wasn't really referred to as a Jew. They wouldn't refer to Jews until later on after uh, Ju uh, Judah, the land of Judah. All right, so Paul is making sure he describes who these people are. And so he talks about their bloodline. And he says the fathers. Whose are the fathers? The fathers being Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. These are the descendants of, of theirs. And, of course, Jacob, who God named Israel. Israel. So Paul himself is an Israelite. As we'll study in a few weeks when we get to chapter 11 of Romans, Paul gives his credentials there in uh, uh, chapter 11. He says, For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, the tribe of Benjamin, of course, Benjamin being the youngest son there of uh, Jacob. That's the tribe that, that uh, Paul is from, the tribe of, of Benjamin. And he says there he claims the title an Israelite. And he wrote the following about himself to the church of Philippi. He says this in Philippians 3 and 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee. So Paul, what he's doing here, he's expressing uh, that he knows their way of thinking. He is one of them. And so when he's saying all this, it's not just good, simple, easy words that he's saying. He's saying, I have a connection with you. That's why I have this heaviness in my heart, this continual sorrow for your salvation because you're rejecting Christ. And so he's expressing here that he knows their way of thinking. He used to think just like them. He used to be the heaviest persecutor of the church before he was saved. And so you got to keep in mind also that sometimes when the Bible is talking about Israel, sometimes it is speaking about individuals, but the biggest majority of the time when it mentions Israel, it's talking about the nation as a whole. And so here we're talking about the whole nation of Israel uh, being saved. And we'll talk more about that, like I said, when we get to chapter 11, because Paul will say this in Romans 11 and 26, and so all Israel shall be saved. And he's talking about a future time when that, that veil is removed from them, when they will hear the one that they pierced. And so uh, we'll talk about that more, like I said. But he'll continue addressing the Israelites uh, all through chapter 9, 10, and 11. And we'll be looking at those in the weeks to come. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, God, we come to you, Lord, thanking you for the message tonight. Lord, I don't feel like I did a very good job tonight. Lord, I, my mind seems scattered. But God, I pray that those who are listening, I, I know that your word won't go out and be returned to you void that it'll go out and accomplish that which you please. And Lord, I'm thankful for that. If it was if it was up to me, God, that there would no one understand. But God, I know through you, through your power, through the Holy Spirit, and through your word, uh, you bring understanding to men's hearts. And we're thankful for that. Lord, help us here at Porchlight Baptist Church. Uh, I pray for these that have sickness and is dealing with the virus right now. 
Uh, Lord, you know the personal things that our family's going through. We're praying for them. And God, we just uh, thank you for everything you bless us with, Lord. We're nothing without you. For these things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen. All right. Well, Lord willing, we'll be back together Sunday morning. Uh, we'll start a live stream at 10.30. Of course, the church is going to start at 10. And uh, we, uh, if Lord willing, we'll be continuing through Romans. We'll look at the next few verses here in Romans chapter 9 and go through that, unless he changes things. And he does that, and uh, that's all right. Uh, we'll deal with it as it comes. All right. All hearts and minds clear tonight. In fear of the Lord, we're separated. <laughs>